Um, welcome everybody to another episode of Game of Life. Dan, please introduce our guest, man. We have a member of the ensemble from Mamma Mia, right. which is about to hit Melbourne and is going to be here until I think early December. December 10th. Yeah. Wow. And and I, and I know this guy from Book of Mormon. Yes. He's a terrific performer, Josh Mulhern. Welcome to the show. Oh, Welcome thank to the you. show, Josh. It's, a, it's, it's Mulhern. It's a, it's oh, a tricky one, yeah. Yeah, I was trying – before you walked through the door, I was <laughs> looking up how to pronounce surnames yeah. on my phone. Like, is and it's one of those yeah. ones where it's uh, it's Irish originally, yeah. and there's different spellings for depending on like which clan you came from. Yeah. Uh, so I end in like an an, but there's like en and on and un, and yeah, we're all somewhat related. Yeah. But yeah. So so you just right. hit Melbourne. Yeah, I drove down from Brisbane. Um, so I've spent the last forty eight hours in my car. It was uh, it was it was a great drive. I actually watched uh, some. Well, I didn't watch. I listened to some Netflix podcast on um, how to become a cult leader. Was yes. actually my uh, my entertainment for driving oh, was down. It? Yeah, it's um, narrated by uh, Peter Dinklage from Game oh, of Thrones. Yes, yeah. Nice. Um, so it was it was it was a very long drive. Lots of music, lots of podcasts, yeah. uh, lots of very straight roads, and sadly a lot of uh, kangaroos on the side of the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's always a tricky one when you're driving. It is. You yeah. don't want to like have one jump out and, and kind of oh, hit yeah. you either, because there goes the car. And they yeah they mess up your car. They like ride it off yeah. completely. Yeah, because yeah. they weigh something like. I don't know, 200 kilograms or something crazy. There's yeah. pure muscle. Yeah. Funny thing happened recently. Seven years in Australia, I never had a kangaroo come in front of my car. Recently, I was driving with the, with the family and a deer came in front of my car. And I was like, what is that? Is that a deer? <laughs> you don't have do to we, say deer. Right. Do we, it's, do it's we have deer in Australia? We must. I was in Dandong Ranges and it was, it, was, it was so funny. I was like, is that a deer? And it was a deer. It took me a while because it was riding next to my car and just kept hopping. I was like, holy shit, that is a deer. So, yeah. I, I didn't even know we had deer. Had deers, exactly. It was like, geez, that's so weird. But yeah, yeah. I, I guess out in uh, the rural areas we must have yeah. them. Yeah. Mm. How, how has life been um, on the road this year? Because you've been living with this show, Mamma Mia, for the last year. Yeah, um, I have one suitcase uh, yeah. that has all my worldly possessions in, um, and and that's it. It's kind of like living this weird minimalist lifestyle where you know you're either constantly living out of a hotel or. Um, when I was in Sydney, I think I lived in like four different places. Like every two weeks, wow. I'd be like, oh, I just got to get up and move because uh, unfortunately, you know, you're not in one place long enough to get a rental place. Yeah. Uh, so you're kind of jumping Airbnbs to friends' couches. Um, I have unfortunately at one point slept in my car. Uh, well, not on, not on this show, but uh, on other yeah, ones, you yeah. know, just one or two nights just to, to get by. Um, but I just came from Brisbane, which is my home base. Uh, so I got to see some family and yeah. uh, pick up my piano and bring that down with me. So it's been nice to swap out some yeah. some clothes and things. Is and it freeing living in a, in a in a car or living that minimalistic lifestyle? Is it freeing? It is. It's kind of nice. Um, I think, and and one of the things that's really cool about this career, where you get to move around and go to different cities, is you never kind of get bored or stale. It's always, you know, there's something to look forward to. You're like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to a different city in three months and it, it keeps it keeps life interesting and fresh. Um, it, it is a little tricky because you're obviously away from friends and family um, and, you know, loved ones. And we've got a couple of people in the cars that have children, um, you know, like children that are four and five years old yeah. and obviously going up to Brisbane, they couldn't bring their kids with them because you can't take them out of school and all that. So it it, it has its moments for being really fun and chaotic and entertaining. But then there's also some some kind of difficult times where you, you have to, you know, just be like, oh, I'm doing this because I love it yeah. and the passion. I'm going to get to see my family yeah. in a little bit. And yeah, so 
it, it kind of depends on on the person that you are and and what you need to to thrive. I guess. Yeah, it must be fun. I think I'd have fun on the road. Do you get homesick? How long does it take you to be homesick? Oh, <laughs> see, that's a that, that's a really question because I guess I've been doing this for such a while now that you'd kind of be like, oh, where do I consider my home? And I'm like, oh, well, even though I've got. You know, a house up in Brisbane, I spend maybe three out of the, you know, three months out of the year there. So it's kind of not really uh, the home, I guess, that cliche saying where, you know, home is where the heart is and the heart's in the theatre. So, you know, whatever theatre you're in, you're kind of like, oh, that's my home. I spend, you know, most of my days either in the gym or at the theatre. So it's kind of if I could take in a pillow and sleep at the theatre, I probably would. But uh, (laughs) Right. That's funny. I think that also depends on the personality do you have as well right like if you are somebody who's like a homebody mm. you just want to go home and you know just you're comfortable thriving in the in a, in a comfortable spot but someone who's who's very you know in a forward momentum they sort of just like okay keep on going keep on going on going is that is that your personality it depends on the day sometimes <laughs> <laughs> on, on a monday or tuesday after doing you know five shows across the weekend you're like i, I just want to sit on the couch and play the playstation and wow. not talk to anybody yeah. and uh, do five shows over the weekend yeah so yeah. this um it's it's a really interesting concept where i think we, we used to do tuesday nights tuesday nights That's, used to be the thing and there's it's still a couple of shows that do yeah. tuesday nights but i think the way that theater kind of moved towards getting younger people in and, and having more um you know 30 to 40 year olds at work during the week and and they kind of introduced this double Sunday show sort of thing. Yeah. So it usually used to be one show on the Sunday, but now there's two shows on the Sunday. And, and yeah, by the end of the weekend from Friday night through to Sunday, you do five shows and right. yeah, it, it's, um, it's kind of a hectic working schedule and you get to, yeah, you get Monday and Tuesday off and you're like, Oh, I actually have a weekend to relax and catch up on my washing yeah. and laundry. And yeah. How do you maintain that energy? Uh, I drink copious amounts of caffeine. <laughs> right, yeah. Just just That's a lot of coffee. Um, so when you're up on stage, it's a workout in itself as well. It is. I mean, yeah. if, if you come and see the show, it's it's a it's a cardio workout. I yeah. spend half the time sweating and, uh, you know, there's a, a great fun mega mix at the end where we do three songs back to back to back and the audience gets up and dances. And, and yeah, but I, by the time I finish the show, I come off stage and it's just just pure amount of sweat. Yeah. Yeah, for wow. that, I think you you really have to be passionate and you and you really have to love what you do as well. Can you take us back to how you fell in love with theater? Um, apparently, when I was uh, was a three year old, I did that that classic thing of uh, you know performing arts kids that used to get up and sing for their grandparents and mum and dad, mm-hmm. and I recruited my sisters into dancing to to actually, funnily enough, ABBA songs yeah. um, back when I was five, and I used to. I don't know, get up and do like a John Farnham tribute show and put on these jackets and and sing along to to the CDs. And I think that my parents just kind of saw that and they're like, oh, okay, well, he's interested in in performing arts and he's a little bit- Right out of the gate. Yeah, right out of the gate. Like if someone was like, oh, like what did you, what else did you want to be? And I was like, I can't even remember a time when I wasn't performing and and didn't want to do that. So yeah, I think uh, at five years old, they went, okay, well, let's put him into some theater school stuff. And I went to a, a place in Brisbane called The Fame- talent agency and they had like an after school program for three hours you know went and sing and dance and then that just kind of continued into high school and I did dance classes after school and on the weekends and went to the Steadfords and that that uh that kind of traditional you know dance mum sort of thing yeah. where you just see the kids kind of going and competing and and yeah I got to I got to the end of high school and I was doing a thing up there called uh, creative generations which they bring all the state schools together and do this massive performance and one of the uh the choreographers of the 
a couple of the numbers and he worked with some of the the featured singers that, that sang all the songs. Uh, William Forsyth was like, hey, what are, you, what are you doing after school? And I was like, oh, actually, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he was like, oh, well, I have a I have a full-time school down in Sydney, 85 International. You should come and audition. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of set me oh. on the path of like, you know, I got into that school. I went down. I did two years of full-time, you know, honing my skills in the arts and after that, was lucky enough to get a, a cruise ship contract where I got to go to Miami and rehearse and, uh, and then spend seven months on a, on a cruise ship going around the Caribbean, like just performing every night oh, for people oh. and, and then came back and got into theatre. So it's kind of, I don't know, this roller coaster of just uh, of nonstop, just kind of since I've been five, just, yeah, following I the dream. <clears throat> funny thing about passion is that did you ever, did you ever lose love for it? Or does it go down a little it, bit? It ebbs and flows. There's right. and and weirdly, the you know, I meet a lot of people at Stage Door. They go, "Oh, I, I love theater. I really want to yeah. do it. It's it's such a passion." I go, "It it's also hard work, and it's a it's yeah. a full time job. Um, you know, you do eight shows a week, and and sometimes, I don't know, anyone that yeah. works in an office or accounting wakes up some mornings being like, "Oh, I really don't want to go in." Um, and you could kind of go in and, and, and give a little bit of a, a lesser effort, you know, fill in yeah. some some sheets and do the taxes yeah. a little less hard. But when you're on stage, you don't have yeah. that. You know, yeah, you're you having to put your to full self easy. into it. Yeah, you, well. you have yeah. to you have to fully commit to everything, or else someone in the audience is gonna be like, oh. That person's really not, uh, you know, not doing a, a good job job up there. And yeah. that guy was yawning. What? Yeah, they were like, "Oh, why was that guy like on the floor, passed out?" Um, so it, it it it's kind of a little bit difficult in that way where you go, "Oh, you're so passionate about it," but it sometimes it is hard. And you you do have to dig a little deep to be like, "Oh, you know, these people are, are coming here to be entertained." And you know, while you while you're passionate about the job that you love doing, you're also there for the audience, and and it's that give and take relationship of of they want to be entertained yeah. and you want to entertain them, and if they're having a good time, it kind of reflects on you, and you go, oh, the audience is great tonight. Like, how can I not be having a good time? That's true. So um, you connect with the audience as well. Yeah, it's it's one of it's one of those weird jobs where, you know, the the people that you're doing the job for get to experience it with you, and you know, every night's different. Like. There's people, sure, that come and see the show hundreds of times and they've seen it before, but there's always someone in that crowd that's never, never seen a theatre show before mm-hmm. either. So you kind of want to, you want to bring them into that world yeah. and, and bring them on stage with you and, and give everything that you kind of have because, yeah, because you, you love what you do, but also the audience, you know, they they deserve that that full commitment and uh, yeah. and that's a cool thing. As that's well. amazing because you think like that because it's not that you're doing it for yourself, you're also doing it for the audience. That's amazing. I mean, I do it for external validation for sure. You know, my <laughs> yeah. therapy sessions, it's all about, yeah, I'm just there for the applause. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, um, yeah, I think, I think it's one of those, it's, it's one of those weird passions and careers where you go into it because you love it, but then you also do it because you love to entertain people and to make other people yeah. feel happy. And, and, you know, one of the cool things about this show is, uh, it's one of those feel good shows. No one dies at the end. It's not like Miz where, yeah. you know, you leave being like, Oh, every, everyone died and I'm really sad. This <laughs> is, this is one of those. It was amazing, it, but it, it was, was so yeah, depressing. Everyone's everyone so talented, <laughs> but God, why am I crying? Um, this is one of those cool shows and, you know, similar to Book of Mormon yeah. as well, where the audience walks out feeling really great and, and, and having a great night. And they're talking to each other being like, Oh, we just experienced this, this really cool thing together. Uh, and I think especially post COVID, it's it's right. it's kind of needed more than ever, where people, you know, maybe aren't having a great time in in their own jobs, and they come mm-hmm. and and get to see us do what we do, and and it you know it kind of changes lives in a in a really cliche kind of way to put it. It, does, yeah. it is escapism. Mm. It is a a break from your life as well when you're going to the theater. It's a real immersive experience, right? Which is why I love it. 
I haven't. And I lean more towards the lighter stuff because, I mean, as you said, when you go to Lee Mears, you just want to have a big cry <laughs> afterwards because everyone yeah. dies. But seeing something like the Book of Mormon or Book of Mormon or even Mamma Mia, it just takes you into another world where you mm. can just sort of release and relax. And okay, I mean, good hands here. Yeah, you yeah. you sit in the audience and you go, oh, I'm I'm here to be entertained and have a good time, and then and then that happens. Yeah. And I mean, it, as much as I perform in theatre, I've I've also seen a lot of theatre as well, yeah. and it's really cool to see, I, I guess, the different stories being told and all the different music, and it's such a, a wide variety. Yeah, because mm. you can go from Les Mis and you know Phantom of the Opera yeah. and all of your classical stuff to yeah, and the more jukebox musicals that yeah. have all the songs you know and love as well. I, that's one of the cool things about Mamma yeah. Mia is that everyone loves ABBA. I mean. It's it's yeah. like puppies. You can't not love ABBA. <laughs> Do you think Melbourne is our New York? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, yeah. That's this a good is analogy, man. yeah. This is yeah. the Broadway of Australia. Yeah. Um, there's so many theaters. I mean, e- even at the moment, they've um, you've got like Moulin Rouge going on. Yeah. Um, I know Miss Saigon's coming here soon. Elvis is coming. Uh, there's always a, a ballet or an opera yeah. going on at the the State Theater or something. It's it's one of those. Yeah, the cultural hubs, and and they do say that. I mean, Sydney's got just as many theatres. Brisbane's building, you know, another one at the moment at QPAC, but but Melbourne is kind of like the cultural heart yeah. of, of Australia. The the time I just love in Melbourne is during the comedy festival mm. because I'm 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 big into comedy as well. But having the Melbourne Comedy Festival, but then also still having all the shows happening at the same time is just such a great period of time yeah, for me you have so many options yeah to <laughs> yeah. yeah do you living with the show for so long when you take a break what are those breaks like what are the in-between jobs Ooh, period I like mean, for you they've, they've got this thing called a uh, post-show blues where as soon yeah. as i mean like obviously we're we're kind of contract workers so as soon as the show finishes we're a little bit unemployed yeah um, unless of course you're one of those lucky people where you've you've auditioned and you've you've booked another show but even then that could be like two or three months in between of, of a break um I'm a bit of a workaholic, so I always go back to uh, to working like a, a civilian job. I've got a, a forklift license, and uh, right. I, uh, I work yeah. in a warehouse, kind of doing like yeah. pick and pack collection yeah, yeah. for companies. Uh, so it's 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 one of those weird things where is it strange going back into a job like that just after you've performed on stage for a whole year? It is, uh, you know. It's sometimes it's demoralizing. Yeah. You kind of go, oh, I could be singing and dancing, but you know, yeah. you, you turn on the radio and then you just sing and dance along with it while you're yeah. you're working your other job. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you hear those stories of, of some of the actors on West End where, uh, you know, it's very expensive to live in London, so they have to work second jobs while performing every night as well. So some of them will do, you know, their Friday night show and then immediately go to a bar and work until 3 a.m. Yeah. just to, to be able to afford rent and food. It's uh... Well, there's a new view I was listening to recently where someone, an actor said, well, I've had so many jobs, so many jobs I can't count them all. Mm. Um, but it, th- those jobs, no matter how demoralizing they may seem, they're helping me stay in the game. So I go to those jobs, work the best I possibly can because I don't take those jobs for granted because they're helping me stay in the game yeah. to forward my momentum. That's it. Yeah. You, you kind of have to... Yeah, you have to keep paying the bills. I guess you you, sort of have to suck it up at the end of the day, yeah? (laughs) I I mean, it's like anybody that has a job that they, you know, they're kind of like, oh, I wish I was 
doing my passion and maybe this job isn't my passion, but it helps me do the things that I love doing or, you know. It puts you, fuel in the fire that I can seek out my passion. That's yeah. it. And, and it, it, in a weird way, it almost motivates you as well to, to kind of go harder. Yes. You're like, oh, look, yeah. I don't love what I do. At the moment, it helps me pay the bills, but I really want to succeed at, at yeah. something else. So you you put your passion, yeah, first, yeah. and you yeah. use that to to uplift you. Yeah, sometimes worse situations make up for better outcomes, I guess. Yeah, or well, there's that that saying, you know, that hard times make hard men that make good yeah, times. times or, of, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. obviously about war, not yeah. to, not going to work <laughs> in a warehouse, but it's kind of a little bit of an analogy there. I see what you mean. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, why theater or why not acting? Uh, if God given the opportunity, would you go into acting? Um, for me, actually, the the real passion is music. Right. Um, yeah. So, like, obviously, as a five year old, I, I did a lot of singing performances for the parents and things like that. And I think the original first kind of thing that lit the fire was music and and singing. Um, and then it just happened to be that, it, you know, that, that dancing and acting came along with it. Mm. Um, I'm a little bit of a, uh, a little bit more of a bigger personality and very theatrical. So, uh, unfortunately for me, my, my talents don't translate well to screen and TV acting. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also something really interesting about doing a live performance where you've only got that one chance in that moment to kind of get it right and to, to entertain there. And there's something... Mm. I don't know, almost like thrilling about that, that I'm really drawn to where I go, I love the aspect of live performance uh, as opposed to, you know, doing film and TV where you you do the same scene over and over again until you kind of get the right take, Um, which is funny because obviously I I, I do music recording and you just keep, you know, singing the same line over and over until you get the perfect take there. Um, But then you do a live performance for a gig and and that's... Yeah, so as much as I, I love the combination of the singing, acting and, and dancing that theatre brings and it's the amalgamation of all those skills and talents and you kind of go, oh, that's the, you know, the ultimate challenge sort of thing. Uh, for me, it's it's really the music and, and that's the cool thing I think about doing shows like Mamma Mia that have, you know, ABBA's music and I did Jersey Boys, which are the Four Seasons. It's kind of like you get the opportunity to sing such famous and well-known songs that almost transcend times. Like a lot of our songs that we're singing in this show were written in the sixties and the seventies. And you're like, Oh, that's, that's over 50 years old, but people still know and love these songs. So for me, the, the passion is the, the music Music. and yeah, getting to sing, you know, in front of 2000 people every night. And it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird sensation, but I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to loving music. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know anybody that doesn't have Spotify or iTunes or, you know, I think I have one friend that's like, oh, I like hip hop and that's it. And like, but you still love something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you tell us the responsibility of an ensemble player? In- yeah. Um, so the really interesting thing, I, I guess, that people don't think about ensemble members is that we we cover all of the leads. Yeah. So within within Mamma Mia, we've got, you know, the, the mums and the dads, the, the dynamos. There's people in the ensemble that cover all three of the dads or like yeah. all three of the dynamos. Um, so as, as well as us doing our own track every night, we also are kind of there as like a, like a safety on the bench, um, you know, back up in case someone yeah. gets sick or injured yeah. to kind of go on. So it's one of those really interesting things where an audience doesn't, you know, watch every night going, oh, that person probably knows a bunch of other roles as well. Yeah. So it's this interesting concept where, yes, you're hired to do eight shows a week in yeah. the ensemble to sing and dance every night, but you've also got to be able to to cover the leads and, and go on and do other roles. And, right. 
yeah, it's it's a really interesting concept where you have to have so many different skills and abilities, but then yeah, bring it bring it out every night and do eight shows just as as well as the last one. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting aspect, and obviously depending on the show, uh, different shows have more involved ensembles. Um, other ones are kind of you know there to do the big numbers or the group singing. Um, you know, like Les Mis has like a cast of 40 or 50 or something and we've got 35 in ours and, and yeah, I guess depending on how the show works, you could be a very heavily involved ensemble where you're in every number and every scene in the background. Could be other ones where you just come on and do the big dance numbers. Um, luckily for us, we've, we've got a great opportunity to come out and do, you know, money, money, money in the beginning mm. and there's um, a whole bunch of featured ensemble tracks that have different singing lines or they come out and they have acting scenes with each other and... Uh, yeah, it's 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 a weird concept, I guess, yeah. where you think of movies and you're like, oh, it there's seems extras. daunting. It seems so daunting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, there's there's also the the misconception that just because you're in the ensemble and you know people aren't watching you yeah. because the leads are on stage, it's like, well, no, there could be there could be any yeah. number of people in the theater right now watching just you because they're like, oh, look at that person over on the left having you know doing a fan kick. I guess yeah. that would be like such an odd. Um, call to get and a scary call to get if you um get a call saying hey can you just cover one of the leads today it, <laughs> it is a very weird uh, yeah um my I've, I've i've got one of those stories um so when i was doing jersey boys i, I played joe pesci in the you know the, the featured ensemble um but i also had the very privileged opportunity to cover frankie valley yeah. uh and i think it was a wednesday matinee and i've rocked up to you know, to just go on and do do my Joey track. And I walk in the door um, and, you know, company management pull me aside. They're like, oh, hey, we're actually going to take you out of the show today because one of the Frankies is sick. So we need to just have you ready and prepared. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so not quite being like, oh, hey, you're on. Can you just do it? And I was, I was sitting there being like, oh, yeah, I know all my songs. I know my lines. I know the blocking. It's okay. It's, it's great. And, you know, I'm watching side stage. And then we get to interval of the first show and they go, hey, you're on tonight. And that that <laughs> night was the first time that I ever got to do Frankie Valley as, wow. as a lead. And, you know, I, I go down to interval and I'm bringing my mum and dad being like, guys, I'm on tonight, I'm on. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's this, I mean, you don't want to say like immense pressure or you put it on yourself to kind of be like, oh, I'm I'm stepping up, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm the, the star quarterback tonight. Um but it's it's one of those things where we we do rehearsals every week. Like we're in there on Tuesday and Thursdays to to go over our understudies and to make sure that we know what we're doing if if somebody is sick and we do have to go on. Mm -hmm. So there is that that question of like, oh, do you get nervous? And uh, and a lot of the times, nerves comes down to you know feeling underprepared. Like if you yeah. go in for a test or an exam and you're like, yeah. oh, I'm feeling really nervous because I don't know the material. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think as as a professional actor, you kind of expected to know your lines and material, but you've also rehearsed it so much that it almost feels like second nature. Right. Yeah. Um, the really interesting ones is, you know, if you're like halfway through the show and, and you know, someone twists an ankle or something like that and like halfway mm. through a number, somebody comes up to you being like, oh, hey, can you just go and get dressed because <laughs> we're actually going to slide you into this show right now, um, which, is a, which is an interesting thing actually that happens with Wicked the musical, yeah. uh, which is obviously playing right now in in Sydney is that's such a massive sing yeah. uh, for the person playing Elphaba that if they, you know, start the show and, and they come in, they start singing, they go, oh, my voice isn't great. They've yeah. got um, they've got somebody on standby um, who's just kind of like waiting to go on. If she goes, look, I'm not going to be able to sing Defying Gravity. Yeah. It's going to be detrimental for the show. Um, swing me out now. And, you know, 20 minutes into the uh, into the show, they then swap Elphaba's over. It must be a jarring thing to see as an audience member. 
I, that's never. I've never been to a show where someone's roles all of a sudden being covered by someone yeah. else halfway it, through the show. It goes halfway. Yeah. Um, and and I've done a couple of shows yeah. where you know sometimes leads have swung out, and obviously depending if it's like a, if it's a famous person, you've paid like you know yeah. two hundred fifty dollars to see <laughs> Hugh Jackman do the show, and then they're like, unfortunately, the rest of the show, and you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> but it's one of those weird things, um, almost like a. I don't want to use this analogy because this sounds bad, but like a car crash where if you go and pass a car crash and you slow down because you're like, you really want to look at it. It's one of those kind of almost exhilarating things as an audience member where they go, oh, for now on the rest of the performance. And you kind of lean forward in your seat and you're like, oh, things are about to get really interesting. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm really intrigued. And then it's one of those things where an audience member, you know, they'll walk away and they'll be like, oh, I was at yeah. the show where like, you know, this halfway happened. through yeah. somebody came on and they finished it off and they were phenomenal and it's yeah, it's almost kind of like it's a weird experience where that audience gets such a unique yeah. show that it almost enhances the experience yeah. for them because they go, oh, look, I got to see two people play the same role. And, you know, you don't get to see that every night. It's a very exciting thing for a Thursday night at the theater. Are you someone who performs well under pressure? I like to think that I do. Um, one, of, one of the really you know crazy things about live theater is anything could go wrong at any point. Mm. Um which, yeah, it, it, sometimes actors really are really stuck in their routines and their ways and they like to have, you know, the scene played the same way. They kind of almost sing the songs the exact same way every night because you, you're trying to get that level of uh, almost a perf like a perfect performance every night and you're trying to replicate the same thing eight shows a week. But there is something kind of exciting about things going wrong and you're like, oh, in the moment, how can I fix this? You know, maybe somebody's costume breaks on stage and you know a hat falls onto the floor or there's a prop and you're like oh i'm gonna be the one that kind of not saves the show by picking up the hat that's fallen yeah. on the ground because it's not going to ruin the show but there is something kind of cool of being like oh i'm in the middle of doing my dance and i normally do but half of my brain's like how can i fix this thing that just happened and yeah i i, I think i'm a little bit uh exciting like a little yeah. bit of a thrill yeah. seeker in that way yeah. where i'm you know I'm, I'm waiting for something to maybe <clears throat> happen that you kind of yeah, you can jump on being like, oh, that happened, but we we picked it up and we kept going. Yeah. And similar to, yeah, mid-show swings in where, where somebody steps on stage, you you as a cast feel exhilarated as well because you're like, oh, how's this going to go? Yeah. Are we going gonna, we gonna to step up and, you know, yeah. make it's it happen? All, it's also a way to stay present in what you're doing as well. True. Because you're not just going in, clocking in, doing the show and then leaving. You're having to actively... Think and be aware of the surroundings you're in. Yeah, there is there is a, a trap that you could fall in doing, you know, I think we're up to 150 shows now of Mamma Mia, where wow. you could that's that's nothing. That's a that's a short run so far. <laughs> yeah. Um I'll use I'll use Book of Mormon as the example. I did uh I did over 450 performances of the Book Shit. of Mormon. Some of the boys on that show, you know, obviously stayed on it for like three years. They went to New yeah. Zealand. They did over 1,200. Wow. Wow. Jeez. So imagine doing the same, essentially the same thing 1,200 times where, yeah, you you kind of, because it becomes muscle memory as well, you do have the, the trap of falling into autopilot where yeah. you just go mm. in and you just do it and you're like, yep, I've sung this thing a yeah. hundred times. I've done this dance step a thousand times. Um, but it's those those moments where because you you could slip into that autopilot that you'll make a mistake yeah. on like the simplest step. It won't even be the hard time step, you know, and turn it off where you 
you're in the dark and the claps and all of that, it'll be just walking and you'll trip over yeah. the air and yeah. you're like, oh, I should have been awake and in that moment yeah. and focused on it. And yeah, I think I think that's that's one of the challenges as a as a musical theater actor is to find find the freshness in every performance because because mm. similar to you know giving a hundred percent effort for every new audience, you also can't let it get stale and and you've got to keep it entertaining and fresh because again it's it's the first time that the audience has seen it. So for them, they haven't seen it twelve hundred times. Yeah. So why should you give a you know a twelve hundredth time performance? It's yeah. Every there's yeah a, a lot of the directors and, and choreographers use that saying of you know perform as if it's the first time you're doing the show. Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw um, uh, Beauty and the Beast um, earlier this month in Sydney mm. or last month, and there's so much technical things going on in that They've show. They've got a lot of flies. Yeah. So you. I don't think you'd be able to go into autopilot on that show because there's so much to be aware of around you of all like the, the sort of special floor. effects and revolving yeah. floor and everything. I just don't know how you would be able to just go in and just do it on autopilot. Yeah, there's some of those ones where there's a very technical aspect to it. Yeah. You know, you've got to push on giant set pieces and, and put it on a very specific mark on the floor. Otherwise, it could be dangerous for somebody doing the scene. Uh, yeah, for, for those moments, you definitely want to be you know aware and clocked in and, yeah. and make sure you're absolutely focusing but yeah i think you know you could be at the end of a of an eight show week and you're you're a little bit exhausted in that last show and you just you know get a little bit tired and something happens yeah. but yeah you obviously have to be on high performance all the time yeah. it, uh, i'm just thinking that <clears throat> how much practice would these guys have like doing 1200 shows and that's 1200 shows Plus the um, rehearsals. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot, man. Like, can you tell that, can you tell from a performance that I, I, you can just tell that how refined their movements would be because they're, they'd be so precise in what they're doing because they've done it thousands of times now. Yeah. I, 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 it's one of those weird things again, where from what you see in the audience versus what you see on stage is, is two very completely different shows where an audience could see it and be like, Oh, that was phenomenal. Everything was really tight. The steps were, you know, everybody was in sync and the performer comes off being like, that's the worst show I've ever done. <laughs> my leg was, you know, I didn't straighten my leg. I didn't right. point my foot. Um, yeah. So while, while you've done the, you know, the movement a, a thousand times, you could also come off stage being like, Oh, I could have done that dance step so much better. Or that was, you know, that was a, a, a terrible backflip that I did tonight. And the audience just wouldn't know because, you know, there's obviously that stage magic where they they don't know what's going on in your head or they don't necessarily know what the step should have looked like if it, you know, if you didn't get it exactly perfect. But yeah, after, after a while, you kind of be like, oh, I know you could almost do it in your sleep. And I have had nightmares of me doing show choreography before <laughs> where you just go, I know exactly where my hand goes. I know yeah. exactly what my face looks like when I'm doing this step or singing this note and yeah, it's 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 kind of a there's that saying where you know when insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. result yeah. But we go in there hoping to get the same, same result. result. So whether that makes us a little bit insane or not, I, yeah. I don't know. I think it. Uh, what is a show night like? Like how how chaotic is it? Do you have time to sort of stop and take a breather, or is it just go go go? Um. Again, that that really depends on the show. Like uh, for Mamma Mia, we've I've got like two or three costumes in the first act where I don't have to get changed a lot. Um, one of my costumes is just taking off a singlet, and then I'm yeah. shirtless, and it's you know it's the easiest change of my life. <laughs> um, but on Book of Mormon, we we had some some crazy quick changes that happened in the wings, and 
you'd come off from doing one number and you've got like 30 seconds to get changed and then you're back on stage again. So it, it does depend on the show and obviously how they, they manage it all and, and what your costumes are. And, and sometimes, the, you know, I've had shows where you've got a 20-minute gap in the middle because the leads have like a, a couple of numbers back to back or there's a really yeah. long scene that yeah. only three people are in. Um, you know, so you have some opportunity sometimes to go back and, and sit down and read a book or uh, as a cast, we used to play um, card games on, on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. We'd come back and get like, you know, you'd, get, you'd have 10 minutes and you're like, we can get seven games in. <laughs> Let's get through these games because then we've got to go back out and do the show. Um, so it, it, it really depends on, on, yeah, how many numbers are in the show and how yeah. quick your costume changes are. And if you get a moment to do things like at the moment we're doing, uh, we're doing crosswords on Mamma Mia. Because yeah. um, we we do a lot of uh, a lot of booth singing uh, yeah. in the show because we're trying to replicate the sound of the albums yeah. as much as we possibly can. So yeah. we sing, I think it's it's like everything bar maybe like one or two numbers. Gotcha. Um, so you've got like I don't know two minutes in between every number to like sit there and be like, okay, what's five down? Uh, you know, <laughs> can we quickly get this crossword before we have to go and sing? Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of one of those weird things as well where the audience doesn't see what happens backstage, and we've got. Yeah almost like a whole other show going on back there because, <laughs> you know, as well as the actors you've got, you've got backstage crew and technicians that are going yeah. around and moving props and getting things ready for the next scene, setting up lights, making sure microphones are working. So, you know, there's a whole village out the back making this show kind of work and, and performers are just a very small part yeah. of it. But, yeah, we, uh, I don't know, we try and we try and have some fun back there as well yeah. and, and keep engaged as well. And I, th I think that's one of the other things that keeps the show fresh and interesting is that you don't come backstage and just sit there and go, okay, now I'm, I'm waiting for the next time I go on. You're like, oh, you know, yeah. how's, how's, uh, how are the kids? What, what are you getting for dinner? Yeah. And uh, one of those weird intrusive thoughts that kind of creep in and then you're like, oh, cool, now let's go and kick a leg. Mm. You, sp you spend so much time with um, your cast and crew. Is it the same crew every single performance or different? So uh, with a lot of shows, you'll have like a core group of, of crew that travel with the show. Yep. Um, but then depending on the requirements of how many props and costumes there are, you know, you'll have different local crew yeah. um, that are specific to that theatre and they work, you know, solely in that theatre. So every yeah. show that comes in, they'll learn the new show rather than rather than travelling with the same show. They, you know, every three or four months get to learn a new show. So that's that's a whole other different yeah. side of it as well where you stay in the same city and, and do multiple mm. shows in a year. Um, there's also people like the dressers that look after the costumes and things that are specific to that theatre as well. So... Yeah, you get to you get to every time you get to a city, meet new faces, and and obviously I've I've gotten to work in a whole bunch of different theaters and meet so many other people. So you get to a theater and be like, oh, there's that person that I haven't seen in two years since I worked, yeah. you know, on this show five years ago, and and it's it's a really cool sort of like a distance community where you get to see friends and old faces and familiar people that you've worked mm. with before, being like, oh, like how have you been? What shows have you yeah. been working on? And yeah, it's a it's a really cool. It's one of those really cool jobs where you get to know people that if you're working in a bank and, you know, you're in the marketing team, you don't really know who works in no. sales yeah. and, you know, you're in a building yeah. with multiple yeah. floors and yeah, you're like, oh, yeah. I don't know who works on the second floor. Yeah. yeah, so. I think it requires a great amount of teamwork as well, not just with the actors, but the, with the crew as well, and the, mm. you know. What about mistakes? What about taking accountability for if you did something wrong? Does other people pick that up or they, does other people help them cover their mistakes sometimes uh 
that question depends on the mistake. That's true. It, it, <laughs> how big or small? How big or small? You know, little things like, uh, you know, sometimes people sing the wrong lyrics and, you know, <laughs> you'll see the the conductor or the MD like look up being like, oh, I, I heard that just then. You know, you've, uh, you've clearly sung the wrong word. That's the second verse. Um, yeah, I, so, oh, this, this will be a fun story, but, um, when I was doing Ghost the Musical, we had, um, these giant LED walls and screens that, um, you know, came in and came off and flew in and did all these different things. Um, and we were bumping into the Melbourne, I think we're at, um, we're at the Regent Theatre here in Melbourne and the stage dimensions were slightly bigger than what we had in Adelaide and we timed it so that this wall came out as as a different LED wall came in um and the guy that was pulling out the wall he I think it was like his third time doing it as one of the local crew um and because they'd been like oh you've got x amount of seconds to do it because that's how many seconds we did in Adelaide he did the job perfectly fine and pulled it off but the difference in the um the dimensions the wall came down and like as he was pulling out this wall the LED wall caught on it and like tipped forward and the whole LED wall went down and and we're in the middle of tech and the part they had to order back in from China and, you know, obviously this catastrophic mistake and the stage has fallen apart and you imagine those, you know, the Looney Tune shows where like the stage collapses in and, you know, the, the lead actor's standing there in this box of... Of, you know, of broken closing Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, even even in something crazy like that, we just went, okay, it happened. We can order the part back in. That's fine. It'll be here in four days. Um, we've cleaned up everything on the floor. Don't worry about it. it. You know, no one got hurt. We're all safe. And 20 minutes later, we just picked back up and we kept going with tech rehearsals. And, mm. and you'd be thinking, you're like, oh, if that was any other job and, you know, something crazy <laughs> where a giant LED will fall down and fell apart. That'd be the end of the workday and, yeah. and everyone would go home and nothing. But yeah, it's it's kind of weird where you just go, look, things happen, mistakes happen, you know, as long as no one gets hurt or even if somebody gets hurt, you go, what can we do to fix that and make sure that doesn't happen again? And, you know, they they figured out the timing and, and mm. never hit the wall again. So it's totally fine. Um, I hit the wall a little bit later on in that, uh, in that season, but that's a different story <laughs> that we, you know, I knocked a few LED walls out. Um, but no, it, it's one of those things where I think... Yeah, I think accidents happen all the time and you kind of go, look, it's human and, you know, it's a mistake as long as it wasn't, you know, intentional, you know, I, Tonya, pushing somebody down the stairs mm -hmm. to make sure you, you get the role and the lead and, you know. Um, so I think that's interesting because that kind of, um, like, you get into the the zone of just keep moving forward and getting to the destination and you get used to that lifestyle of you know just keep on going to the next to the next to the next is it hard for you to sit still now that's a very <laughs> so... i mean I, I, there's obviously a camera here filming and I'm, I'm pretty sure if you were to like put it on uh, on fast you would see me just like oscillating on this chair for the last 30 minutes um you know whether that's the coffee this morning kind of kicking in um yeah i think i'm a person that fidgets a lot as well um or i have to be yeah, like I said earlier, I'm a, I'm a bit of a workaholic, so I've got to be doing something. And 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 unfortunately, as a performer in musical theatre, you're always thinking like, what's the next show? Yeah. Uh, you know, what do I have to audition for in in six weeks to kind of you know line up the next work? Um, we're still we're still here in Melbourne for like ten weeks, and we've got ten weeks of work, which is which is quite a long time in in theatre terms. But ten weeks goes really quickly, and yes. you're like, oh, in ten weeks I'm unemployed, and what am I doing next? And you're yes. constantly thinking of 
of the next show and you know what city am I going to be in next do I have to fly to Sydney to maybe do this audition and what's coming in two or three years that I want to do after the yeah. next one that I possibly do so it is it is this weird thing where you're kind of never satisfied or you don't yeah. have the uh, the ability to be content in just going oh look yeah. I've got this show and I can sit here and just do this job for 10 years yeah. and save my retirement fund and um, I think that's one of the tricky things with Australia because obviously if you're on Broadway or the West End and those shows run for years, years and yeah. there's that one story of um, of the trumpet player that I think he's in Phantom of the Opera where he's been there for like 40 years and he started as like trumpet three or four and then over the course of you know decades he's worked up to trumpet one and, and he's just played that show for like that's yeah. that's his job that's his life and career he's just played trumpet one on uh, on Les Mis and man Phantom. I'm just I'm just thinking when when there's a phase of you not working in theater, when you go back to your job, job, it must kill you, man. <laughs> it, it would kill me because I can understand the psychology of forward, you know, fast-paced lifestyle. Mm. When you go do that job, I don't know how fast-paced that job is. It'll just kill you because you're you're such a you know. Well, I think I think those moments you almost have to go. Is that a retrospective time of you? you are you thinking about the future? Or are you thinking about what you've done in the past? A bit of both. Right. Yeah, because you kind of get to that job and you're like, oh, man, last week I was, I was singing Abba <laughs> on the stage and now I'm packing boxes and stacking shelves and making people's coffee. Um, but there's, I think it's one of those weird things as well where sometimes you do burn out a little bit from doing from doing shows so so often and, and you know, particularly for, for shows when you do an entire year in a row and, and we yeah. don't really take holidays either. You kind of get, you know, your normal two, two weeks of holiday for annual leave, but... Yeah, you, you do occasionally burn out a little bit and you almost you're almost thankful occasionally for those other normal jobs where you go, Oh look, right. I can just rock up and I don't have to put on this big yeah. smile and, and entertain an audience tonight. I can just come in and, and do eight hours of menial labor where I can almost recharge my batteries. Yeah, that's true. In a little bit of a way. Um and there's also that kind of weird um I think it's a, a scientific theory where I don't know. It might have been Einstein where Einstein went and worked a, a normal job stacking shelves for a chemist or whatever and then came up with, you know, one of his relativity theories where because you're doing something that doesn't necessarily require your full attention, you almost unlock other parts of your brain that yeah. have the creativity That's where true. you you have a moment to to let the rest of your brain kind of, I don't know, reignite and find something else and you'll have like an epiphany moment in the middle of of working your, your normal yeah. job and you'll be like, oh, this is what I want to do now. This is yeah. going to be this thing and I've got an idea or a business or I want to write a show or, you know, for me sometimes I'll, I'll come up with song lyrics while working wow. a normal job as well. So it's it's one of those weird things where... It gives you time to think. Yeah, yeah. You, almost, you almost recharge and unlock something yeah. that maybe maybe you've kind of gotten a little bit stuck because you've done the same thing a thousand times and you're like, oh, this is all I know. I, you know, sometimes I, I finish a show and I'm like, do I even know how to sing something that isn't ABBA? Is that, you know, is that the rest of my life? I'm just going to be an ABBA tribute band. How, how long are those periods of time when you're not working in the theatre? Well, COVID was the worst. Oh, yeah, that would have been, yeah, throwing you off a long Yeah, PTSD is kicking in. Um yeah, that was that one was that that was tricky because um, obviously you know lockdowns and and no one could do theatre. Um, there also would have been a lot of uh, hope that there was going to be something, but then oh no, actually there's a lockdown again. You can't do that thing that was yeah. initially going to be planned. There would have been a lot of 
stop starting, stop starting. The what? Right, right as COVID hit, I was about to uh, go into rehearsals for Nine to Five, yeah. um, the musical, and I think I was flying out on the Saturday or the Sunday to come to Sydney for rehearsals. And they called us on the Saturday. I think my flight was the Sunday, and they were like, "Don't get on the flight. Don't come to Sydney." let's leave it a week. We're going to see what happens with this COVID thing. You know, we're very hopeful that we'll start rehearsals the week after. But right now the, um, you know, the American creative team stuck in America, they can't come over. So we're just going to, you know, play it by ear. So what happens, we'll keep you updated. You know, one week goes by, it's like, ooh, it's not looking good. Mm. Two weeks. And then in the third week, they were like, look, unfortunately, this is clearly going to be a very long, difficult thing. Um, and, you know, and I think... I think a lot of people had that experience as well. There were people in shows where they did they did like the matinee performance and then they came in to do the night performance and they were like, hey, just letting you know this is the last show. We're, we're closing yeah. tomorrow and we don't know if yeah. we'll ever open again. Um, luckily, a lot of shows, you know, when COVID kind of calmed down and the lockdowns finished, a lot of shows got to pick back up kind of where they were. Um, I know Shrek popped back up to Brisbane. Um, I got to luckily jump on the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory tour. They did Brisbane and Perth. Um, and then 9 to 5 actually called back up and like, hey, really great news. <laughs> We've got theatre space and we're going to put the show back on. And how would you like a job? And, you know, that was, you know, euphoria for, for everybody coming back into yeah. the theatre being like, oh, there's work, there's jobs again. Would that have been two years later after Almost. I think I think I probably had 16 months off in between yeah. getting that call from 9-5 saying we're cancelled and then jumping onto the Charlie and the Chocolate yeah. Factory tour. Um, yeah, and obviously I worked in the warehouse the entire <laughs> 16 months because retail had a great time during COVID. They, they took off. We were slammed in the warehouse, um, which, which is, you know, very lucky for me that I had a full-time job that I could yeah. to stay working in COVID. Yeah. Um, a lot of people weren't so lucky. I mean, particularly Melbourne would have had it so rough just, you know, being inside and locked in. Uh, a lot of people that I know and, and a lot of friends kind of, um, you know, got degrees in things. So a lot of people did their PT degrees or some kind of yoga or, you know, um, Pilates degree or something like that. I actually started doing a Bachelor of Business because I was like, oh, well, that's it. Theatre's done, closed. I've, I've got to get a normal job now, so I better get qualified in something. Uh, I'm unfortunately three years later still doing that business degree and, you know, probably going to take a couple more years to get it done. But... Yeah, I think I think it's probably also a good thing to have other passions outside of theatre or other things that you can do where you go, oh, look, you know, if, if there's not a show coming or I don't book a show for a while, at least I have other work and other jobs I can do. Um, one of the girls on the show is doing a master's. I know so many people that have, like, psychology degrees. Um, other people have gone into, like, real estate. Uh, mm. So, yeah, it's it's kind of... Yeah, you kind of diversify your, your skill set as well to kind of be like, oh, look, sure. if I'm not working or, you know, if I'm a dancer and I unfortunately tear an ACL or, you know, I, I do something to an ankle and I have to be off my feet for, you know, eight to 12 months or something. What would I do? Yeah, what would I what would I do if I'm yeah. not a performer? It's one of those weird questions where people are like, oh, if you never went into theatre, what would you be? And you're like, oh. I don't know. <laughs> what would I be? A rocket scientist, maybe. Um, you know, I'd, I'd probably go into something in business. Like my dad's a, you know, a CFO of companies. And, oh, well, and yeah. I think I'm also interested in, in that sort of thing as well, where like you, you're still, you're working in retail or a business, but as a manager, you're like a people person. I think, you know, I like talking to people and getting yeah. to know people's stories. And, and I think that's something that you do in theater where you, you, you know, you have that charisma and the ability to talk to people and find out what they like and their stories. And, you know, so I think, I think there's translatable skills that, that theater people have that allows them to work in other, other areas and industries as well. Mm -hmm. So 
So yeah, I think I think any time that I finish doing a show and I've got a little bit of time off, you kind of almost look forward to those times being like, oh, is there something out there else that I can discover <clears throat> yeah. or, you know, right. find some other passion that fulfills me and then come back to singing and dancing because we're almost addicted to it. So. so you said music's big in your life. Do you, when you're by yourself in your free time, do you still jam out? Do you play anything? Do you play an instrument or anything? Uh, yeah, I play piano. Um, nice. And yeah, so weirdly, I don't get a lot of time these days to to kind of sit down and just play and jam because I'm always running to the gym or, you know, going to rehearsals or the show. Um, but anytime I get the opportunity to like, you know, I hear a new song that I really love, I'm like, oh, what's the chord progression of that? I'm going to learn how to play mm-hmm. this song. Uh, yeah, it, it's kind of one of those things where, you just you just do what you love and it it, uh, it fulfills you and recharges you and you come home from a long day and you're like, oh, I'm going to put on some music while I do the washing or I cook my dinner. And yeah, there's almost never a moment in, in my day where there's not something playing. Right. I, yeah. Oh. Um, you said growing up music was big. As you said, you've always been into music. What? Who were those musicians or composers that influenced you while growing up? Oh. So many, so many bands. Um, I was an emo kid in high school. Um, there's some really good pictures of me with emo fringes. I regret having that haircut. Um, but no, I, I, I was in high school in like the early 2000s leading up to, I think I, I graduated in 2000, 2011. Right. So my high school period was from like 2005 to 2011. And there, that was like the renaissance of emo music. Mm-hmm. Um, so my favorite bands are, you know, Jack's Mannequin, Reliant K, uh, something corporate, all time low. Uh, you know, I even dipped into a little bit of screamo with uh, Pierce the Veil and right. uh, you know, of Mice and Men and, and some some weird things where it's kind of like that music is you know not for everyone, but for me and an angsty teenager, there was something that just kind of resonated me with with all these you know I, gu- I guess bands that were maybe like four years older than me. And they were writing music and you're like, oh, these kids are basically 17 and 18 out of high school getting record labels and, and playing to sold out stadiums and doing cross country tours and, and things like that. And that was, you know, that was that was the music. The that, yeah. that was the dream. I was like, I'm going to be a rock star. <laughs> um, but there's so many like really talented Australian bands. You know, you think of like Powderfinger. Right. Um, my dad was a huge Powderfinger fan. We, we used to play that in the Jeep when I was like 10 years old. And, you know, um, Vulture Street album was just great. Um, I had the opportunity to see Bernard Fanning play live and he's wow. just a very talented musician. And there's there's something really cool about seeing someone that's so passionate about their craft as well and, and you know, and, and writing original music and there's something cathartic about that where you're writing your own stories but other people find their stories in the lyrics and those songs and, and yeah, it's it's music's the great connector where it just brings everybody together and yeah, and you get to you get to see a little bit of yourself in somebody else's music or you know, for me, I've I've put out a couple of songs that other people have kind of listened to and resonated oh, wow. with, and they're like, oh, you know, that's obviously a personal story to you, but there's this thing in my life that happened, and this song really brought that out, and you're like, oh, that's cool that an experience that I had and I put to to music spoke to you and kind of either helped you through a difficult time or you know, made you feel like you weren't so alone in the world. And I think that's, you know, for me, that's the inspiration where you kind of go, these people are telling stories and I have a similar story. I've, I've felt something. And yeah, it makes you feel connected to somebody that you, you don't know and you probably yeah. will never meet, but you go, oh, that person's just like me. And 
you know, they're singing some emo songs about their girlfriend breaking up with them and, <laughs> and that, you know, had a lot of breakups in high school and really mm-hmm. spoke to me. <laughs> it's funny that how human brain works, that we retain a lot of information when it's, it's on um, it's on music or when it rhymes mm. so it, it we we feel the words much deeper than we would if we're just talking yeah one one of the one of the funny things that a lot of people ask after seeing the show they're like oh how do you remember all the lines or how do you remember all the lyrics and i go oh well <coughs> what's your favorite pop song mm. do you remember yeah, all the, yeah do you yeah. remember all the lyrics yeah, to your favorite exactly. pop song they're like, oh yeah i do and you're like yeah it's just it's okay. just that it kind of gets stuck in your head um you know, I'll come home and I'll be standing in the kitchen. I'll just start singing ABBA songs or something. Or, you know, if you ask me to sing, I believe from Book of Mormon, I could still do it because it just ingrains yeah. in you. And there's something, you know, they call them earworms where it's catchy and it just, the words just get stuck in your head. And it, right. yeah, there's something almost, um, oh, there's something scientific about the way that uh, people write pop songs these days where it's just so catchy that the human brain yes. just absorbs it, um, you know. Katy Perry does it really well. I love I love Katy Perry music. Where, no. what about musicians now? Who are your favorites at the moment? Um, okay, let's well, Katy Perry. That's one. Uh, you can't go wrong with <laughs> Katy Perry, right? She's great. Um, and, you know, I I don't think a lot of people admit it, but Taylor Swift right. is also really great. I think the really cool thing about T Swizzle, uh, and I used to <laughs> I used to actually listen to her first album when I was in high school, uh, and back when she was a country artist. Is she kind of just like reinvents herself every every album and and genres just kind of evolve the you know the more she puts out music and i think that's a really cool thing that a lot of people do these days is is you go from like you know we had jazz music back in the day and then we've gone into rock and hip-hop and punk and you know the the kind of stuff that i'm listening to these days are more of like this synth pop um you think like the 1975 and they've kind of got these flanged guitars and a lot of synthesized instruments. The 80s is making such a huge uh, resurgence in in music these days. There's a lot of synthesizers and, you know, um, think of Van Halen's jump with the, mm-hmm. the dun, dun, dun. A lot of that's kind of coming back in the music these days. And, uh, yeah, I'm listening to, I'm going to just say obscure band names that no one's going to know, but like The Main, um, Small Pools, uh, my favorite artist is uh, Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness. Right. Um, he was the singer of Jack's Mannequin back in you know my emo days, and just kind of followed his career as he's kind of progressed. But same thing, you, you, every every couple of years, we'll just change genres and be like, oh, my music taste as an artist has changed, and I want to be writing songs that I'm interested in writing. And right. you know, you don't want to just keep writing the same album over and over and over again. Is it funny to you <clears throat> that the songs back back in the time were are still being listened to and the songs now, do you think they'll be listened to in the next 10, 20 years? I don't think so, man. Uh, right? Why do you think the songs back then were so popular and still are popular? I think there's a... And it's so tricky these days because obviously with the internet, you know, there are so many songs being put out every yeah. single day. And and you can talk about the saturation of the music market where... Yeah, there's, there's almost too much music to listen to and there's so much variety that, I mean, I've got, you know, on my Spotify on repeat, there's like 50 songs that I listen to constantly over and over again and, you know, they give you that update every year being like, this is your most listened to song, most listened yeah. to artist. I think the songs from, you know, the 50s and 60s and you look at Elvis and the Beatles and their music kind of transcends time almost because they were so popular back then that and they did that without the internet and they did that you know being the Beatles Mm -hmm. from London but they got huge in America and it's almost because it was 
it was more difficult for them to get famous then that the songs were so good and, and so popular and it got passed down from generation. Like I used to, my grandmother used to play the ABBA music in the car when she was driving me to daycare or something like that. So it, it, it passes down generationally where you go, oh, this is the music my parents were listening to or my grandparents were listening to and, and it kind of passes down through the family. But also there's something nostalgic about it as well yeah. where you're like, yeah. oh, these these people were huge back when my grandparents were my age. And if they loved it, then maybe I'll love it. And you kind of, yeah, you listen to that music and you're like, oh, wow, this is, it's still relatable now. Um, it, it just, yeah. A part of you wants to connect. You do, yeah. You yeah. want to connect and be like, oh, I can imagine almost a simpler time where I'd have yes. to go down to a, a, you know, a vinyl yep. shop and buy a, a record. F- yeah, <laughs> buy a record and bring it home and put on the vinyl. Yeah. And it almost took like a lot more work back then to listen to songs Absolutely. and to find songs. And, you know, you hear those stories of people being like, oh, I'd have to get my cassette out and wait for the radio to play the song and then record it onto the tape. And then I'd play that song a million times until I hated it because that was the only tape of the song you, <laughs> you had. Yeah, that's true, man. Where, you know, it, it almost, um, it almost because you have that instant gratification of just going, hey, Siri, play me a song, <sighs> that you kind, of, you kind of almost don't connect to it in the same way that people used to because because they had to work a little bit harder mm-hmm. to, to hear the music and to fall in love with songs. And yeah, is Beyonce going to be, you know, still listened to in 20, 30 years? Maybe. I could, I could imagine Love on Top being, you know, some kind of one of those ads in, in the yeah. future where they go, oh, this song from 40 years ago. Maybe is, someone is could sample it. Maybe someone yeah. could sample it. Probably. I'm, yeah. I'm hearing a lot of, yeah, a lot of samples these days where if they're not using you know the original lyrics it's it's the same melody but they've altered the lyrics um which you know i think also kind of speaks to to the way that music is generational and it funnels through and they go oh this song was really clever and well written 20 years ago i think people today want to hear that and i'm going to use it in a different way and with ai coming in i've heard songs like i've heard a song that was Notorious B.I.G. I don't know if you know Biggie. Yeah. Singing on Nas's lyrics. And that just blew my mind how accurate that was. Yeah, I think I, I heard something similar with uh, with Tupac where they yeah. put him rapping on an Eminem track mm. or something. Yep. Yeah. yeah, which, I mean, you could get into all these legal <laughs> arguments being like, oh, it's fraudulent and stealing somebody's name and yeah. sound and look. And, you know, uh, you you've, Saw that uh, that Bruno Mars court case where um, they tried to sue him for stealing the chord progression of Marvin Gaye or something like that. Where mm. you kind of go, oh, does does one person own a chord progression because they made it famous thirty years ago? You could you could argue in that way where melodies aren't right. copyrightable. But I think I think producing somebody's voice without getting their permission first that's, yeah it's a bit dodgy bit bit of a gray area <laughs> i mean if you if you did it in a way where you were you were a producer or a songwriter and you had a song that you thought was really phenomenal for someone you went hey i'm going to use this ai to replicate what their voice would sound and then send it to that artist going hey this is the song that i've written i think you'd really be really great on it i've used an ai to replicate your voice do you want to record right. this for me and let's release it together? And that could be that could be a way that, that kind of works. Um, unfortunately, that takes jobs away from like ghostwriters and things like that. Um, uh, Carol King, um, you know, the musical Beautiful, uh, she used to be a writer for other artists and, you know, wrote hundreds of songs for other people and then original, went into her own originals sort of thing. So I feel like if you, yeah, you used AI, maybe there'd be a couple of, 
of those stories where people went, oh, I just couldn't get, um, you know, Rihanna to sing on my track. So Lady Gaga ended up singing it and now she's huge and famous. Right. So you'd maybe lose a couple of those stories if if the uh, the AI that you pitched to the artist ended up singing. I think, you know, obviously using AI to fake someone's voice and then make money off it is probably yeah. going to be a Massively very, unethical. <laughs> yeah, and people are going to get sued for that. That's true, man. Yeah. But, you know, unless they, they change the rules and... and there's obviously a lot of uh, a lot of strikes going on at the moment. You look at the Writers Guild yeah. where they're going, hey, look, we don't want AI taking our jobs of writing scripts. So, yeah. And I feel like the arts is one of those things where, you know, robots maybe probably won't take over our jobs as soon as yeah. other industries. Right. But you look at some of the cool things they're doing, like holograms and even, um, you know, in Japan they've, they've got like... Uh, like anime artists that come out and sing the songs on stage. And it's like, yeah. oh, well, someone designed that that anime artist and it's a fake vocal, yeah. but, you know, yeah. it's, it's a personality. And yeah. it's it's kind of shifting that way a little bit. But I think I think live theatre and, and live performance will kind of always be the, what yeah, people authentic. are looking for. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, and again, it's that experience where <clears throat> a, a person sits in the audience and they go, oh, I got to see this person live and that yeah. performance and they sang this song and they never sang that at a, 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 an event before or after and... Yeah, I think it's a unique experience where, yeah, you get to experience it live. It'll never happen again. You live in the yeah, moment. That's true. Unless you pull out your phone and you film the <laughs> entire thing and you're that unfortunate person standing behind a six-foot person. They've got their phone up the entire time. You're like, well, I didn't get to see the concert, but. Yeah, man. Yeah. And so you want to film um, a performance that you've been in, that oh. you've noticed, that you've just noticed straight away? All the time. <laughs> I imagine people would be doing that in Book of Mormon a lot. Yeah, and I think I think it was <clears throat> it's one of those things where obviously as you walk into the theater yeah. and the ushers are like no filming, no flash photography. Yeah. We say it over the, you know, over the speaker being like, "Please put your phone on silent. It's a it's a live performance. Don't don't capture, you know, anything that goes on." A lot of the time it's for it's for like marketing purposes mm. where they're like, "We don't want we don't want you to spoil the show." Yeah. Um, you know, even on Book of Mormon we we had a couple of uh rules in our contract where they were like, "You can take photos of these costumes." But never post anything in any of these ones because we don't want to give away some of the uh, you know the the thrilling aspects of the show. Uh, but yeah, you you've had we've had some shows where people like front row, middle center, and they're just holding their phone the entire time. Just You're no like, shame at all. <laughs> no shame, which I kind of admire. I'm like, oh look, good for you. Like you know that you know that we're looking at you and you know, point at the camera. I've like waved at things before. Um, there's oh, there's a really good filming of Hamilton um, from the states where somebody's they're up in like the Grand Circle or, or whatever, yeah. um, and they're filming Jonathan Groff singing I'll, "You'll Be Back." And there's one moment where he like looks directly at the camera because he's like, "I know that you're filming, <laughs> and I'm gonna look at it." Um, but yeah, it's 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 one of those things, right? I, I often as I sit there and I go, "Is that person ever gonna watch this back?" Yeah, no. Are they gonna come home? Like I've. <laughs> I've recorded concerts and, you know, my favourite songs at concerts before and I've maybe gone back and watched it once or twice yeah. to be like, oh, what was that like? Um, but, yeah, I can't imagine that that audience member that's filming, you know, 30 minutes of the show. Because the quality's never great. The quality's <laughs> no, because the yeah. lights are bright and, it, you know, lens flares yeah. and, um, you know, I've... I've I've definitely had some some people come in and like voice record some shows. I I, I may right. you know I may have heard me singing "Can't Take My Eyes Off of You" from Jersey Boys, and I've played it for my mum a hundred times, and she loves it. And she you know sometimes my dad listens to that recording because he's like, oh you know what's my son doing? <laughs> um, but yeah, I 
I it doesn't affect me as a cast member if someone's recording. You kind of come backstage and you're like, oh, do you see that person in that row with the camera? Yeah, how funny. It's yeah, it keeps. I think it's one of those things that keeps it interesting for us as well to yeah. see what the audience is doing because a lot of people would be like, oh, they can't see us in the audience, but no, we can. We can see a lot of faces. We can see. That's true. We can see things going on. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean. I've been in shows where people have been arrested in the audience before. Ooh, really? Yeah, we oh. were, I think it was Ghost. We were like halfway through act two. We're in the middle of doing a dance and, you know, some police came in and, and came out and escorted a guy out. Um, the The worst moment that, that happens and, you know, obviously some people in older generations enjoy theatre. We were... We were doing Book of Mormon, I think maybe like seven months into the, the tour, and we get up to Spooky Mormon Hell Dream. And in yes. the middle of Act 2, it's a big seven-minute number. We're all dressed up as devils. We've got pitchforks. Yeah. Um, you know, a bunch of serial killers come out on stage. It's a, it's a very freaky number. And right as we're about to start, someone in the fifth row starts having a heart attack. Jeez. And the unfortunate thing with Spooky Mormon Hell Dream is there's so many moving parts to it. Oh, and yeah. Things come on and off, and, yeah. and the set changes that we can't we can't stop the show yeah. during the number. It, it's, a, it's a safety requirement that we, we cannot stop the number. We just have to keep pushing through. I'm just imagining someone being taken out <laughs> with a heart attack during that number. Well, they, they yeah, there's people standing up being like, stop, this person's having a heart attack. And we're on stage dressed as demons and devils <laughs> doing spooky Mormon hell dream while this person's having a heart attack. And we just had to keep going, and and it was it was the strangest thing because yeah. you're like, oh, this this person's obviously you know, and the audience is trying to watch the show still, and and obviously watching this person getting carried out and all of that, and then the number stops, and you know, we finish, and, and the curtain comes down, and you know, we, we wait twenty minutes for the person to come out, but yeah, it was it was the strangest thing being on stage, having to continue doing the performance because of safety requirements on our end. You know, while someone's having a heart attack. And, well, and usually if that happens, the show would immediately stop, but it just happened to be that in, in such a technical aspect of the show, we couldn't stop and, and yeah. yeah. You were in character. You were the devil, so, you know. Oh, <laughs> like I, I, I have to wonder whether the person saw the start of the number and then had the then heart attack. They were like, yeah. oh, you know, O.J. Simpson comes out and you're like, oh, he didn't do it. Um, Love didn't what was Book of Mormon like for you? <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't fit, you have to have quit. Is yeah. that, is that what? what was Book of Mormon like for you? Because that was a big show. And as I told you before we started, that I was one of the people who lined yeah, up lined here up. in Melbourne yeah. um, for hours getting one of the first tickets. What, what was that show like? It It's such a phenomenon. It's just... It's just what I've never, I've never experienced a show like it. Um, and they do a really cool thing where every... Every day, I think it's three hours before the show starts, they do a lottery for the front row. So yes. they never sell any tickets for the front row and you go in, you put your name in the raffle and you can win a front row seat for like $10. Yeah. So that in itself yes. is one of the really cool things. Yeah. Um, but the show is just so funny and just connects with people on such a, on such a weird level because it, it, it's obviously a show you know, about Mormons and, and Mormonism, but it's not necessarily about that. It's about religion in general and how people, uh, you know, look for something higher than themselves. And the show's about community as well, because obviously, you know, there's a, a Ugandan tribe and community that are dealing with a warlord and, and AIDS and all these things. And, and it's a story about, you know, a white savior in a way that comes over and brings them together being like, oh, you've got all these horrible things going in your life, but religion can solve them. <laughs> 
Um, and, you know, if you've ever seen South Park, like the satirical nature of, of Matt and Trey is just so funny. But also the songs are brilliantly written, like they're all catchy and there's some brilliant pop music in that and, and, and the way that you just... I don't know, you kind of go in there and, yeah, you're watching a show that's sending up religion and Mormonism, but it's not about that. That's yeah. kind of just the right. surface level. And and underneath, you know, the characters have all got you know, these great arcs where someone starts off as an egomaniac and then they're humbled and brought down. They're like, oh, actually, you know what? Being friends and having people that surround you is the thing in my life. And, you know, obviously Elder Cunningham just gets away with absolutely <laughs> murder in that show. Um, and it's... Oh, there's so many funny things that come out. One of my favorite moments in that is, uh, you know, you spend the first 20 minutes with the Mormons. It's all bright and shiny. We're doing all these dance numbers and you're like, oh yeah, this is what I'm here for. And then it changes to Africa. Yeah. And this one guy, you know, the first thing he does in the show is he walks out and he's dragging a dead donkey yeah. across the stage. And, and and you can just feel the audience go, oh, we're here now. This is, now it begins. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that that show the audience just went wild for yeah. like, uh, and yeah, as you said that, that first show that we had, they didn't sell a ticket. You had to camp out and, mm. and come and, you know, people were there at like 4 PM the day before yeah. where they had tents and they were ready. They were like, we've been waiting years for this show to come. Now it's here. And yeah. I get to be one of the first people to see it. And that, that show, the first time we had an audience and we came out and, you know, you do the first ding dong and he says, Hello, my name is Zelda Price. And I think the yeah. audience just yeah. applauded for like two minutes straight. Right. And we didn't even we didn't even start the song for what seemed like forever because the audience mm. just went absolutely wild. Well, before the show even started, you had the announcement, okay, the Book of Mormon is about to start. Please switch off all your phones. And even, blah, yeah, blah, even blah. Then. And there's all thunderous applause. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. And and that show was for me as an actor was really cool because it's a dream show to do. Uh you know, the the dancing's phenomenal, the music's phenomenal, the harmonies are really interesting and crunchy. Um one of the interesting things of, you know, singing all the Mormon stuff is there's no there's no females in the Mormons obviously. So the guys are essentially trying to sing female harmonies as well. So we were singing like up in the rafters. Guys were hitting B's and high C's every night. It was, it, you know, it's really cool to be surrounded by very talented theatre actors doing a really cool show. Yeah. Um, I think I was about 23 at the time. So the, it was just, I think, mind-blowing for, you know, for me at a, yeah. a younger age yeah. to be like, it's a big show this too. is a yeah. huge show to be a part of everyone's talented we're all here doing you know what is essentially the the greatest show of the century i think is the uh, the advertising line yeah. but it really is it's it's a it's just such a well-written show you can't not enjoy it yeah i mean obviously if you're an audience member that's slightly religious and i i brought my grandparents to it um and my grandfather is a a minister um that didn't go down particularly well in the family the drive home he was shell-shocked he was like that was that was a, that was an interesting show um you know on, on that one weirdly people do walk out like 20 minutes into the show because i think you you kind of you kind of know a little bit what you're mm. in for but once it gets to hasadiga ibawai yeah and you know and they bring out that line of of f you god yeah you, you can kind of see a couple of people go, ooh, actually, it's probably a little bit too much for me. I'm, I'm going to make my way out. Yeah. Um, which is which is so weird because, you you know, the, the songs are up on Spotify. You could listen to the <laughs> album. You could probably know what you're in for, you know, knowing the guys wrote South Park. But so. by the end of it, it's a weirdly positive message as well. It is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think 
I think that's also one of the things that, you know, you feel good about. No one, no one dies in it yeah. as well. Um, so it's one of those things where, yeah, it, it, again, it's, it's a show about religion, but it's really about community and people yeah. and, and coming together. And, you know, there's, there's love stories that weave in and out of it. And, and, you know, there's the Mafala as the father kind of, you know, you've got that father figure in the show yeah. and, and feeling a family and belonging and, yeah, I think I think that's the really core aspect of it is is finding where you belong in a community, that's you know, friends and family, yeah. um, and they just happen to throw religion on over the top. Yeah. Man, I miss that show. <laughs> hope it comes. Look, back. Look, I I hope it comes back as well. I hope you know they they give a thirty two year old. You yeah. know, by the time it comes back, I'll be in my mid thirties probably, and they go, yeah. oh, you look like you could be nineteen still." <laughs> I, I would a hundred percent go back and do that show yeah. again. It was it was a really great time. Really like you know, a hard show to do eight times a week. And we were on the five show schedule with that yeah. as well. Um, so, you know, you get to the end of it and, and again, you're just dripping in sweat because the finale is like this six minute, yeah. minute number where it has three key changes and you're just doing this cardio dance and, you know, but it's it's such a great time. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll start to wrap up yeah. in a second. Um, it's so great to have you in here. You brought with you such a positive attitude you've just been grinning the entire time you've been here it's been great yeah i know my cheeks are starting to hurt i, th- I mean like i've got a thousand more other funny stories and you know things in theater and life but yeah i think i don't know it's 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 hard to be negative when you play yeah. professional dress-ups yeah yeah and i it's important for me to bring in someone from the ensemble mm. onto this show someone who is a big part of the show but probably often not sort of, I guess, appreciated enough or sort of... Yeah, it could be overlooked. Yeah, yeah. overlooked. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So I'm so happy that you um, came in here today. So thank you. No, thanks for having and, me. And um, I'll ask just a couple more questions. Yeah, yeah. Quick fire. When a show ends, because you travel with a show and you travel with uh, the same group of people, is it really sad when it comes to an end? It is, um, yeah, and there's there's a lot of people that I've worked with and and obviously because you, you're working with people in such a close capacity for such a long time and you do form really close bonds with them, it, it's one of those weird things where unfortunately you just, you never see some of those people ever again. Yeah. And you kind of go, oh, we worked together for a year in, in a really close capacity and it's been great, but yeah, you, you just kind of... You know, I, I there was one guy that I worked with on Jersey Boys that had like a, a rule of three where it's like, you know, you'll see three pe- see people three weeks after the show ends, three months after the show ends, and then three years after the show ends. And he's like, you know, some people some people you will see, you know, continuously. And I've I've met people on shows that I've ended up going to their weddings yeah. and I've met their partners and you know, I still talk to this day and and, you know, they're some of my best friends and then other people that I had really great times with that, yeah, unfortunately, you know, you live in different cities and, and you move away and you kind of just become estranged. But, yeah, I think I think weirdly you you do have to remind yourself that, that some people are just work colleagues and while you have a really great rapport with your work colleagues, it's like, yeah, you know, these people unfortunately don't get to become really yeah. close friends and, yeah, yeah and you... I think that's another, another reason to live in the moment to make yeah. sure that you make the most of every show is because... Yeah, as our, our our producer on Mamma Mia said, you know, you you blink and it's the end of the tour. Yeah, and then and then it's all over, and then yeah, you may you may never get to see these people again. So is, is that sort of your philosophical um, way you look at life as well? What are the words you live by in oh. life? Um, the words I live by in life is <laughs> I don't have an energy drink addiction um, for starters. <laughs> but no, um, yeah, I think it's I think 
Oh, this this is gonna sound bad, but I'm 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 one of those people that say go hard or go home. Yeah. Um, you know, in every aspect of life, it's kind of like, yeah, if you if you kind of don't give that hundred percent, you're leaving something on the table and you might miss out on something. And I like to say yes to stuff, even if you know it's been a hard day and someone's like, Oh, we're gonna go to the bar and have a drink. I'll be yeah. like, Oh yeah, look, I'll come and have one because you might have an opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with somebody that you may not normally talk to yep. and you get to find out something in their life or, <clears throat> you know, maybe find, yeah, maybe find a close friend that you do end up making a real connection yeah. with. So I think, yeah, I think it's just about taking up every opportunity you can to the fullest and, and trying to, you know, get as much out of every experience that you can mm-hmm. is, is probably the thing that I try and live my life by, yeah, is, is make the most of everything that you have because, you know, you could get hit by a bus walking outside. So, I love that. And, you know. Go hard or go home. Go hard or go home. We'll, re- we'll release this in um, a few weeks. So by the time we release this, I think Mum and Mia will still be around for at least a month or so. Yeah. Mm. So people should go and see it. I'll be seeing it in a few weeks. So. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's a great time. I can't recommend the show enough. Like we've we've got so many talented people working on that. You know, I, I could sit here listing Elise and Marty Cruz and all of that. And, you know, there's so many songs in it that people just love and enjoy so yeah if you get the chance and yeah. we're in the, we're in the princess theater which yes. is back to where, back you to where i was with mormon, mormon. Yeah. It's, it's such a gorgeous theater it's yeah. you know it's a part of heritage melbourne and like the inside of it, it's just gorgeous yeah. uh, i haven't seen it since they did the renovations for harry potter uh, so i'm, I'm interested to see what they, i haven't i didn't see harry potter either so i'm yeah i don't know what <laughs> the inside looks like either too many yeah. shows not enough time yeah yeah yeah, man. Could you also tell people where they could find you as well? Um, yeah, I'm on all of the social medias, just, you know, Josh Mulherin. Uh, also, if you want to check out my music on, on Spotify, I'm a part of a band called Gunning for Ali, uh, Ali with an IE. Yeah, um, yeah we've got a couple of songs out there and, and you know, I, I respond to all of uh, all of the Instagram messages that I get. So, you know. That's awesome, man. Dan, if you don't have any questions, let's wrap this up. Thank you for being here. Thank Thanks, you so much for having me. Bye, everybody. Bye.